Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Purpose-built for securing Active Directory, Semperis delivers first-of-its-kind solutions to address the entire life cycle of a directory attack, finding and fixing security vulnerabilities, intercepting privilege escalation and persistence, and quickly responding to cyber attacks. Learn more at Semperis.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HITRUSTALLIANCE.NET. Marco. John. What the heck does PR stand for? <laughs> uh, public relations. Public relations. And, uh, and then it goes uh, 360 from there, especially nowadays. Exactly. But also it, meaning uh, um, taking care of fires. <laughs> taking care of fires. Well, and I have, I'm not going to share the story, an interesting view from, from a buddy of mine. If anybody wants to know what the story is, they can DM me for uh, what I'm talking about here. But public relations, I don't know that there's much relation between the PR firm and the public, or they're the gap between the company and the public. Uh, but I, I'm, what I'm getting at is PR firm relationship is more with the company, and, the, and that then is distributed in communications that just make it out to the, to the uh, public. So I guess my point is, today we're talking about uh, the relationship with PR and security leadership and specifically the CISO role and uh, we're going to look at what that means operationally how to uh, how to make the most of a bad situation or perhaps even prevent one from becoming bad and uh, as you know Marco I'm not a PR person neither are you, you I don't can't think. do that by yourself exactly. we need to to hear <laughs> people experience people that are in the field and uh and to really try to figure out how to handle this situation where, to be honest, and that's going to be my position today, why do we always have to talk about cybersecurity when things go wrong and why the relationship can not once in a while to be about a good news? But, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, let's present our guest. Exactly. So we have uh, the wonderful Melanie Ensign on and uh, Ed Amoroso as well. Uh, it's great to see you or great to have you both on the show. Thanks for joining Thanks so much for having us. My pleasure. I'm, I'm excited for this. So very, very briefly, uh, so they know who's behind the voice, uh, a few words, Melanie, about what you're up to. 
Sure. So uh, these days, I am the founder and CEO of Discernible, which is a specialized communications consultancy dedicated specifically to cybersecurity, privacy, and risk issues. Um, so a lot of our clients end up being CISOs rather than CMOs, uh, because we do a lot of consulting uh, specifically for those organizations to help them become better communicators. Uh, previously, I led security, privacy, and engineering communications at Uber. Um, and I've also spent some time uh, working on security communications at Facebook. And previously uh, to that, I actually had the, the honor of working with Ed's team um, on AT&T security for about six years. Love it. And we also know you for uh, the great work you do for DEF CON. Yes, I also lead the the press department for DEF CON. Love it. That too, that too. So many things and so much to touch on. Uh, Ed, a few words, please. Sure. So I'm one of those rare uh, folks who's only done one thing in his life, and that's cybersecurity. <laughs> I grew up in a family where my dad was a computer scientist, so I had uh, access to the ARPANET while it was still that. And, um, you know, I've had a career both in uh, academia. I teach at NYU and the uh, research professor there. And I was at AT&T for 31 years. I think I was the second CISO in the industry, at least that's what it said on my business card. Um, <laughs> and then um, and now I run a research and advisory company called Tag Cyber, where we consider ourselves the un-Gartner. Our approach is, you know, check to see what Gartner's doing and try to do the opposite. And that, that's how we run our business. <laughs> so, and so when they make a billion, we make the opposite of that. But, you know, <laughs> but we're, we're trying to, that's the one piece we're trying to fix. You, you got to have standards, right? <laughs> as long as it's not costing you a billion, you're, you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to burn through a billion dollars, you really belong. No, <laughs> no, I don't even, I don't even know how to spell that word. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's get into this because I let's start off with the negative and hopefully end up good in this conversation because I, I think to Marco's point earlier, all we see, generally speaking, in the media is a breach, lost records, uh, credit cards stolen, cyber crime, hackers. When we all know they're cyber criminals, have done something bad, um, and we were talking about this. Marco and I were talking about this earlier. There's a disconnect between this FUD and what that really means to one, the, the the people that are impacted by it, whatever that that problem is, and to to the company uh, and others like it that need to understand what exactly happened so they can they can do something about it. So there, there's a lot of stuff out there, um, misinformation, non-information. Uh, I, 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 referred to it earlier in a different conversation as twisted information um, where things get twisted. The, my question to kick it off is how do we, or what's our goal, I guess, really with between PR and, and the CISO to do something different or better? What, what's our goal with that relationship? So I, I can certainly speak from the communications perspective. So um, as a communications professional, when I'm working with uh, a CISO or a chief security officer, um, you know, like Ed was, you know, I'm really looking at two things is one, when there's an incident, um, it's something that people need to be informed about. I want to make sure that they're getting the um, most accurate information as quickly as we can possibly provide it. 
Um, and when we don't have answers, being able to explain why we don't have those answers. Um, and, you know, at times where possible, perhaps even giving a, a timeline for when we think some of those answers may be available. Um, but the second thing is, and this is where I think a lot of um, security organizations um, and even the, the companies that they uh, reside within um, kind of miss out on opportunity is there is a lot of value in proactively talking about your security program and your security commitments so that you're able to build allies and goodwill within the industry before something bad happens. I think one of the things that uh, often gets, I think, over attention is the media response to some of these incidents. Um, and in, in truth, the media response may not necessarily be the most important consideration for a company during an incident. I have uh, seen companies who appeared very poorly in the press, um, but had a fantastic experience building trust with their customers because they focused on customer communication um, and were less worried about, you know, um, you know, uh, some of the fear mongering headlines. Uh, I, I do think that there is a bit um, over exaggeration of the impact of um, press coverage, particularly today when there's so much information and so much noise that saturates everybody's life. Um, as a company, you you can survive a negative news cycle. Um, and most of the time, it has very minimal impact. Uh, but you need to be thinking about the relationship with all of your other publics, which is kind of a turn of phrase uh, in the industry, that public relations includes all of the stakeholders with whom you need to have um, mutually beneficial relationships with. So it's not just media. And oftentimes, media is not going to be the most important audience. Um, during an incident. And so when you think about who is likely to be most important, like your customers or your employees or your partners, you need to have ongoing proactive communication with those stakeholders prior to any incident happening in order to build the trust and benefit of the doubt that's actually going to help you survive successfully through an incident. Yeah, and Ed, I'd like your thoughts on this and maybe dig a little deeper into some of the uh, stakeholders, if you will. So Melanie mentioned a few of them, but I'm also picturing uh, the board, investors, uh, partners, potential acquisitors, if you're in the middle of an M&A transaction. Uh, how do you use a CISO before something bad? I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk about this the, the trying to respond when you have when you don't have a plan in place let's take a moment and assume you you have a proactive plan in place how do you identify the stakeholders how do you organize with them what their role is in all of this stuff and and what's the role of the pr team in helping you with that well it's important for security teams to understand um, how much has changed in the way businesses communicate with the world and you mentioned all these stakeholders um, it's everybody. It's your customers. It's public. Like my, I grew up in a world where my mother watched Walter Cronkite and believed him. And, um, and I watched the TV ad and believed I'd get the date if I gargled with, you know, Pepsodent or something. I mean, you believed that stuff. You believed advertising and you believed uh, a newscast. It was a different world. Nowadays, nobody believes any of that stuff. And you're either real or you're not. And you know what I mean? Like our, being real is 
hard to define. It's one of the things you see when you see it. You, you know it when somebody's being honest and, and, and real. Um, so in our industry, what is unique is that we seem to have a, 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 a healthier stream of vulnerabilities and incidents than others. You know, like when um, a, a car has a problem that, you know, some minivan goes off the road and kills somebody. Then the, you know, the car company comes out, they apologize. There's a big recall. It's a big mess. That doesn't happen often. In our industry, that happens every hour. So, so that's why we tend to be more focused on this. Now, the role of the CISO really is not to communicate with the public, but to create an environment where risk is being managed, where honest information is being funneled up through the public relations and media teams, and you're there to make sure that an accurate picture is being portrayed. And nowadays we know, like with um, the incident that we saw with uh, Joe Sullivan at Uber, that there's a, a grave responsibility there to make sure that important information that should be in the public is actually going there. Um, so we are seeing some, maybe some fresh snow being shoveled in this whole area by the cyber community. And I would claim, I don't know if Melanie would agree, but I don't think it's the, the differences in, in, you know, a company having a problem and then telling the public, that's not different from other industries. Our difference is the frequency is just nuts. And, and, you know, that's maybe the second role to see. So it'd be nice to maybe cut that frequency down a little bit. Like it's not reasonable to have so many problems that come up. I'm not blaming the CISO. I'm just saying that's the job to, to do the risk management, to cajole vendors, to fund research, to hire great people, to do good architecture, to just be smart and, and make things better. So, you, so uh, you know, when, when working with Melanie, so I don't have to call her twice a day. You know, it's some problem. That's not a. That's not a. Well, generally not a happy call. Well, frequency is one, and I also suspect that there's some mystery to technology as well. That uh, and and the, the 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 Hollywood personification of hackers uh, kind of amplifies it, right? But, so so two things come to mind um, on that front in terms of why it seems to get more attention um, in our industry than others. Um, first is that I don't think it actually does. I think we just don't pay attention to other spaces as close as closely as we do to our own. Um, but I think the perception is there because, frankly, we we have a uh, uh, media corp that is this is their full time job is to look for security incidents that they can report about. Um, and that is, I'm not in any way saying that that is a negative thing. It is just a factor that contributes to why we in the security industry see so much of it is because there are dozens of people whose job it is to go find something like this to write about multiple times a day. Uh, the other uh, side to that coin is that there are infinitely more people within our industry who are trying to sell something by uh, shining a light on all of these incidents. And so there is a lot of um, incentive within our own industry to keep the perception of urgency and crisis going. So, uh, so many thoughts in my head, and not a single one is good. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stay positive here. Uh, on, the the problem that I, that I see here, and Ed, you you went and kind of there with the with the transparency. I feel like uh, 
with the branding value that we we have nowadays, even from a political perspective, for for the future of a brand, and I think that what you mentioned as the ongoing communication is important. We we can't talk about a business like we do in this industry only when bad stuff happen because words have value and the perception for the public opinion is certainly not good. It's not good for the stakeholders. It's not good for the consumers. It's not good for the media itself, which maybe they're not even as prepared as they should to cover cybersecurity. Some are. I'm not not pointing finger, but um, maybe Melanie and, and Ed, I mean, from the two different perspectives, what are we doing wrong as an industry or what, what can we change to help the media to be part of the positive conversation and not just about the negative one. So I'm, I'm going to be really honest. Um, I don't Please. think we're I don't think we're going to be able to change it completely. Um, that is simply not the business model of most media um, organizations today. I think one of the truest things that that kind of gets kicked around in in my discipline is if it bleeds, it leads. Um, that comes from journalism. Um, and I, I don't think that that is ever going to go away, um, you know, because of the business model of journalism, but also human nature, like we click on things that look terrifying, right? Um, I think I have seen every single true crime documentary that Netflix has put out, you know, during the pandemic, this is just, we, you know, there's a reason why gapers delay is a thing. Right. So there's only going to be so much that we're actually going to be able to control and change in this environment. However, I think where we can really make the most progress is recognizing the limits of um, media uh, or, you know, uh, at least formal media organizations as uh, a communication channel to share more of those positive um, stories. Uh, there is no rule that says that your message has to be filtered through a reporter. It's 2021. You can go directly to the people that you are trying to talk to. And this is where I'm saying, I think both in a negative sense and in a p- positive sense, the influence of media within the space of cybersecurity, I feel is, is often exaggerated um, or perhaps misunderstood. Um, and so I view the role of media as, you know, they working for public interest, making sure that, um, you know, they're holding companies and organizations accountable. I think it's really important that we have that function in our society um, that is forcing more transparency on these issues. However, you know, if I'm the communications person um, navigating an incident, media is a sliver of what I am working on in terms of communication around an incident. And that is because for most of their stakeholders, I, I don't want it to be filtered through the media, nor is that always the way that they prefer to get information. Uh, one of the areas where inaccurate press coverage can be problematic is with regulators or government officials. And that's because their, their sources of information can be so tunneled vision that all they know is what they're reading in the press. Um, I'd rather just call them, right? And talk to them, tell them what we know. There's no reason why we have to limit public knowledge to what's in the news. 
Yeah. Ed, I would like to hear your your point of view from your perspective on this. So um, on the issue of transparency, the um, there's only a few reasons why a company wouldn't want to make something public. One is, let's start with a good reason. Um, it may be that they're concerned that a vulnerability could be exploited. Like if we figured out that some, you know, we're all walking around with a laser pointer and our, our, you point it at a plane, the plane crashes, that wouldn't be a good thing to point at. It'd be better to fix that. So that's responsible disclosure. You don't go to the media and so on. It's a form of transparency, but it's a very guided one. And I will say that a lot of people have hid behind that excuse when it's not valid, right? So, so that's the first kind of one that we can all say, I, uh, if you went off and you work that quietly, I sort of understand. The second reason is the company doesn't want uh, the thing to be out there because worried about some sort of a reputational problem. That's weird too, because for, for analysts like myself, when we compare companies, we assume everybody gets hacked, but we like to see how you handled it. And the ones that handle it well, come out well. <laughs> we say that's a good company. They did a good job. So in a weird sense, it's an opportunity to show that you're a good corporate citizen. You do these things. You So that's the second. The third problem or reason you wouldn't be transparent is that the, some individual, the CISO, doesn't want to push it out um, for reputational issues. And and that one I'm very sympathetic to. Let me give you an example. Like for me, I'm this guy who likes networks and I'm a computer scientist. That's what I do. I write software and have fun with computers. I go to DEF CON. I, I read stuff. That's what I do. And then I get a job in industry, like messing around with networks. And before you know it, you're in an IT security team. You're leading it. All of a sudden, you find yourself in a role you hadn't expected. Guess what? You are the front in a, in a nation state against nation state war. And you're not funded for that. You don't have the right staff or capital or tools. You didn't sign up for that. You signed up for because you like doing network stuff and, and, and setting things up and seeing if you can look at data to stop attacks. And that's what you signed up for. And all of a sudden, you're getting raked through the mud because you got attacked by a Russian group, you know, where, uh, you know, you might get like you're going to get, oh, my God, you're going to get fired by the board because this Russian group came after you and your 17 underfunded, you know, security staff. It's ridiculous. So this idea that you blame the victim, it might be right. Like it's not 0% of the cases where someone has been negligent. Now, Melanie, I've seen a lot of cases like that. And yeah, that's fair. It's in any, any industry. But cyber is one of those weird industries because a, a lot of the, you mentioned board members earlier, they, most of them don't have a clue around cyber. It's a very Luddite heavy community. So their, their reaction is to blame the head of the security team, because surely should have been able to stop a bunch of hackers. What's the big deal? You know, so so uh, in essence, I, I think those those three cases, the ones where you have a good reason not to be, you know, yakking about a vulnerability, those are the minority of cases, but it's not zero. And there are cases when that has to be done responsibly. Company not wanting to do it, I don't think anybody stopped buying stuff at Target or Home Depot, I mean, I think the stocks even went up after that. It's like, what? So what are you worried about? And then for people, that one I'm closest to, and you do get beat up pretty good. When there's a when there's an attack, it's not something that um, 
is good for one's career. Sometimes we get a little sarcastic and joke about it, but it's not. You you don't want to go through that. I, having gone through some of that myself, it's not pleasant. And I'll tell you, it's not a fair fight. So um, that's sort of my perspective on that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And uh, oh, Melanie, go ahead. I was going to say the one additional scenario um, that I've experienced is when you bring in law enforcement, uh, depending on who you're bringing in, they may actually censor you. Um, and that can actually be a really uncomfortable position as the company. Um, if you want to be transparent and your, you know, your default setting is to be, is to be sharing these things um, and you're put under somewhat of a gag order um, in service of a law enforcement investigation, that can happen as well. Melanie, I think you would agree that's also, that does happen. But both, the, both that one and the responsible disclosure, my fear is, and I think I'm being honest in saying this, a lot of people hide behind that stuff. You know, they'll, they'll say that. Oh, and you're so right, it does happen. But I always worry that people maybe blow that up bigger than it, it normally is. Yeah, so there's, I actually, believe it or not, um, was at a security conference um, several years ago. And to be fair, this was prior to CCPA or... Uh, like privacy laws in the United States that had um, like 72 hour notification requirements and things like that. Um, and there was a security vendor at this conference giving PR advice. Like the presentation was here's PR advice when you have an incident. And one of the pieces of advice that they shared was regardless of whether or not you think you need to report it to law enforcement, bring them in anyways, so that when reporters ask you about it, you can just say, there's an investigation going on, we can't say anything. And I was dumbfounded at how incredibly dishonest that was, um, it, but also just truly terrible advice. That's bad um, advice. Because <laughs> the reporters are just going to go to whichever agency you're deflecting to, and they're going to say, the FBI says there's nothing going on. So tell me, you know, like it just, it was terrible advice to me, but you know, to your point, Ed, yes, there, there are times where companies will try to hide behind that. Um, but I do think it's important that we acknowledge that those cases do exist so that, you know, when, when we find out about an incident after the fact, rather than as soon as we think we deserve to know, it is important to ask the questions about why didn't we know? Was it one of these cases where there was extenuating circumstances or was it one of these cases where somebody was behaving uh, inappropriately or they made some unethical decisions? Um, because we're, we're not going to be able to hold people accountable for making bad choices if we can't distinguish that from the other cases. Well, in a way, I feel, and, and Sean, I think it's time to start talking about the, the business value of cybersecurity, but I'm going to make a quick comment from a marketing and advertising perspective. I think I think that the cybersecurity product and service marketing team from the beginning, it just set up wrong expectation. It, it just like said, you know, we're going to stop everything. You know, we, we, we're going to make you unhackable. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to resolve all your problem. And then guess what? Then problems exist. So if we actually do prepare to the fact that stuff is going to happen, bad stuff is going to happen, and you should judge the company from the way that they react to the problem, then then maybe we have something a little bit more real to work with, Sean. But what do you think for, for the business? What the, yeah, what's the so consequences for it? So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Ed with this first, and definitely want Melanie's views on it as well. But just the, we we touched on trust here, and 
you said the vendor and I'm unfortunately I'm going to point to the vendors here. So their job is to sell stuff that they gave advice. I've also heard advice bringing uh, GC or legal counsel. Uh, so you can hide behind them. Uh, Doesn't work by the way. <laughs> so lots of stuff is still discoverable. <laughs> so, how, so if I'm, if I'm a CISO, not in an AT&T where, where I have a ton of resources legal and otherwise to kind of help me with some of these things, how, how do, how does the normal everyday CISO figure out what to do, who to trust, what the communication flow looks like? And, and what I want want your view on with this is all connected back to the business. Because if we're not driving revenue or protecting revenue, all of this is for naught. So how, how do you connect trust and communications and figure that out and then do what you're really supposed to do, which is protect the business? Well, you have to know what you're doing. I mean, this is a new discipline. When I was in high school, what I do for a living didn't exist. So it's new stuff. And you got to figure it out. I mean, would you ask the same thing to somebody managing the bookkeeping or finance for a small business? Oh, my gosh, how are you going to know where to book what? Be like, we'll figure it out. So so in a sense, this is a discipline. Information security is a discipline that needs to develop. It needs to get to the point where the people that you're hiring understand what needs to be done. I'll tell you, cloud is a nice way to go. Like I think for smaller businesses that in the past would have been mucking around trying to set up exchange servers or something, and that wouldn't have been so good a couple of weeks ago, right? But um, you know, the Microsoft hack. But you go out and all of a sudden you have an email department with, with Google or, or, or Microsoft, and they do a great job. Or in the old days, you'd be, have been setting up like um, – HR and personnel um, applications and running them on servers. Who the heck does that? You, you go get a SaaS app. So this idea that businesses can be reliant on third parties that provide a nice, probably more protected service than they can do themselves makes the job a little simpler. It doesn't make, again, as a nation, it shifts the burden from one place to another. But to your question, Sean, about you know what, what's one to do, if you're in a smaller environment where you don't have vast resources to have a lot of security people, then select your services wisely and learn what you're doing. There's a zillion online resources. My goodness. Like I teach this um, Coursera course, uh, 120 or so lectures through NYU. The darn thing is free and it's hours and hours and hours of classroom lecture. You can take Stanford courses online. You get like a Stanford CS degree just sitting at home. So I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I'm not trying to sort of cry wambulance here, you know, that, you, you know, the, the stop crying, just, you know, go do it. I know it's not easy, but if you're going to do this job, you got to know how to do it. And, and you shouldn't have to go ask a bunch of people for uh, babyish advice. You should know this business. If you're going to do it, learn how to do it. It's a little tough love there, but um, I think that's the truth. Yeah, and Melanie, I want uh, I want to touch on uh, something that Ed is talking about here, where we, the cloud and service providers, those are third party vendors. There's an ecosystem there. Uh, we've seen one of the biggest uh, issues recently, where an ecosystem with nth number of of uh, impact, right? So how and that to me just speaks to complexity. So it's it's hard to set up your own stuff, but then it's hard to manage all the stuff. Uh, even if it's controlled by somebody else. So how does one deal with that uh, from a PR perspective? 
So I am of the school of thought that every company should have um, a dedicated comms person to security and privacy if, if they can. I realize that at a certain size that is not feasible. That's why my company exists. But for companies that can, uh, that do have those resources to have a dedicated person, it's so important. And it's important for a number of reasons. Similar to what Ed was talking about with the CISO role, you actually need to learn how to do this job. You need to have domain expertise. You need to understand the ecosystem um, as well as all of the historical context about how different incidents at similar companies or other industries ha have been treated, how other companies have reacted to these things. There is a great deal of study um, that goes into this role. But the other part of it is relationships. When there is a third party incident, that isn't just that's, you know, the victim company that is the victim, right? As we saw um, with an incident like SolarWinds, there were quite a few companies, uh, tens of thousands who were getting questions upon questions from customers and partners about what their risk exposure was to this incident because of how widely used um, this application was. So there's a lot of communication needs, even within an incident that doesn't directly impact your company. Even if your answer is, we have zero risk exposure, that needs to be a coordinated effort from a communications perspective to make sure that that consistent, accurate answer is getting to all of those stakeholders. Because anytime there's a confusion um, or disconnect in that communication, uh, it creates distrust. Right. Um, because all of the reality is, is you can't separate all, all of these audiences. Right. Like if every all of these audiences bleed into each other and there's a lot of overlap. Um, so just because you think you're sending an email to customers doesn't mean there isn't going to be a journalist or, you know, somebody else in that that mix. Um, and so uh, the relationships are so important with everybody within the business, similar to the way that. CISO needs to know all these players. So does the comms person. And additionally, you need to have relationships with the PR teams at your vendors and third-party providers because you need to have a coordinated effort as well. I can't say something to you know, customers that's different from what SolarWinds PR is saying. And if SolarWinds PR is getting their information wrong or confusing people, I need to go help them address that um, so that we can all be giving the public and our customers consistent, accurate, and honest advice about what to do. And there's just no way that you can manage all of the internal and external relationships to do this job well, if it is not your full-time focus as a communications professional. Yep, it's uh, complexity. And uh, as we are starting to wrap it's here- simple, Marco, it's simple. Yeah, it's simple. You know what is simple? That's actually, I, I love that you said that because simple will be to to start thinking about a plan. I'm not saying the plan is simple. The plan may be complex, but it's a simple step. <laughs> it's kind of like a, it's a big leap for humanity when you when you do a step. And, and uh, Ed, you mentioned this quite a bit, like to be prepared. Right, transparency, ongoing communication. And my question, maybe the, the last one for this conversation is, what's the role of the CISO in preparing and working with the PR team, the marketing team and in, in creating this plan or isn't his role? Well, it is part of the role. I mean, just take from the perspective of threat management, 
kind of your relationship with the hacking and research community, for example. Um, that's important. And that's an external conversation. That's an external give and take. And you're going to be doing that in a larger company through your uh, media, legal, and public relations partnership. So just simple bug bounty is going to be something that has to be managed carefully. Um, again, you can see how you can get crosswise if you've looked into the Uber thing. That was all bug bounty. So, so that, that relationship with the rest of the world is all related to threat. And it's part of the job. So partners, a good partnership with um, someone who knows what they're doing, like Melanie. Um, she's very bashful. She's not going to get on here and market her company. But anybody who doesn't have PR support would be nuts not to call Melanie you know, in the next 10 minutes and have her help. Um, she really knows what she's doing, and she's been doing it a while. But I'm just saying, you have to have a good relationship, and, and, and it is part of the threat management landscape. It, does, it is all about the relationships. And uh, if your relationship is only with the computer, you're, you're going to have some tough times <laughs> managing this. Now, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, th- this is part of our series about relationships, CISO and other functions within the business and outside. And uh, clearly, this is one of extreme importance, uh, knowing what to say, who to, who to say it to, when to say it, how to say it um, is critical. And Marco, it's simple. Start with a plan. Yeah, be, be that's transparent, simple. be honest, I think, and know, know who you need to talk to. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up uh, as we have, have to close. Uh, Ed, great to have you on. Pleasure to chat with you. Melanie, as always, thank you so much. Take care of both of you. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HITRUSTALLIANCE.net. Purpose-built for securing Active Directory, Semperis delivers first-of-its-kind solutions to address the entire life cycle of a directory attack, finding and fixing security vulnerabilities, intercepting privilege escalation and persistence, and quickly responding to cyber attacks. Learn more at Semperis.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.